Welcome to the Wellness Journey Podcast from the St. John Vianney Center. I'm Dr. Mariette Danilo, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to journey with you through these challenging times and to hopefully provide you with information that will help sustain you. Our podcasts are aimed at keeping you healthy in mind, body, and spirit. This is Podcast 9. The title of today's interview is Community Life in a Time of Pandemic, an interview with Mary Knoll brother, Wayne Fitzpatrick. Well, today we have brother Wayne Fitzpatrick, a Mary Knoll missioner, um, uh, who is going to speak to us today about uh, community life during a time of pandemic. Um, We've known Brother Wayne for a long time. He's just a wonderful person, and I'm so thrilled to have him here today and to, that he would consent to doing this interview with little old us. And um, <laughs> before I introduce him or before we get started, I want to tell you a little bit more about him. Brother Wayne Fitzpatrick, Marinol Missioner, holds a master's degree in theology from the Marinol School of Theology and a master of science degree in pastoral counseling from Loyola University. He earned a certificate in geriatric care management from Misericordia University. In 1990, he was elected for the general council and was reelected in 1996 and served as assistant general for 12 years. He traveled extensively throughout the Marinol missions in Asia Pacific, Africa, Latin America, and the United States. Brother Wayne is a certified retirement planning specialist for the retirement success profile for religious and clergy. He has given numerous retreats and workshops to sisters, brothers, and priests on aging and spirituality. He serves on the National Board of the Religious Formation Conference. Brother is presently Managing Director of Aging and Transition Services for the Marinol Fathers and Brothers and serves on the leadership team for the Marinol Fathers and Brothers U.S. region. So welcome, Brother Wayne. I'm so thrilled to have you here. Thank you very much, Mariette. Good to be here. So I'd like to get uh, have everybody get a little sense of, of who you are. So can you tell us just a little bit about what drew you to community life and a little mm -hmm. bit about your community then. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a great question because uh, growing up in Northern New York, uh, my home diocese of Ogdensburg was very mission-minded. They had a mission in Peru. Uh, my uncle's brother was a, uh, a missionary in the Congo. And the nuns I had in high school and grade school had missions in Asia. And we got the Marino Magazine and the Propagation of the Faith Magazine. So I guess it was just, mission was just all over the place for me. And I, why brother, I, I, I believe, had a lot to do with not far from where I grew up with Montreal, where St. Andre Bisset, Brother Andre, Holy Cross Brother, uh, lived and was a very holy man. And my fifth grade teacher one day said, uh, I want you to read this book about this very holy man in Montreal. And I did. And I was, the life of a brother and the charism of a brother really attracted me. 
So putting mission and brother together, when I was in college, I went to the priest, the chaplain, and he said, well, there's no other place for you to go but Marinol. And uh, I, uh, I signed up, and, and, uh, and here I am uh, so many years later. So wow. it was a great journey. Wow, great story. Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about the Marinol community? We're, uh, as an American foundation, 1911, we're kind of, we like to think ourselves as babies in the church. We're infants. Uh, we're only a little over 100 years old. And uh, it was Bishop Walsh and uh, Father Price, North Carolina and Boston, two priests, who wanted to send Americans into mission. And um, when it was discussed, many of the European missionary societies said, well, you know, Americans are too soft. They would never be able to handle the rigors of, of overseas mission, especially in mm. China. Yeah. And that's where we went. We were founded in 1911, and off to China we went. And that's where we stayed until the war. And uh, up, up until recently, all of our vocations have been uh, based in, from the United States. And um, we were uh, go to a place and, and set up a local diocese. We set, set up, I think... 13 dioceses around the world. And uh, as James Edward Walsh, one of our beloved bishops, said we go to a place where we're needed and not wanted, and it's time for us to leave and we're wanted and no longer needed. And that's that was a hard move for a lot of our men to be able to step back from the very place they fell in love with, but turning it over, which rightfully so, to the local church. And most recently, we're beginning to accept young men now from uh, our mission regions from Africa, Asia, and Latin America, which is a new experience for us. Mm. So I would imagine that congregate living creates a tremendous challenge during a pandemic. Can you share with us what initial steps you initiated to keep your community and your essential personnel safe? Mm. Uh, we were just reflecting on that this morning uh, uh, on one of our Zoom meetings, which is part of our life now. Uh, mm -hmm. We have, uh, at the time, 135 men under one roof here at Marinal, New York. We have the assisted living residents uh, on the second floor and some throughout the building. And uh, many other of us in administration or ministry live throughout the building. And... Um, we, we began to realize uh, a number of steps we needed to take early on. We were already beginning to kick in, if you will, the guidelines and steps needed simply for influenza, uh, which is a, a, the normal experience of, of uh, in the winter months after the flu shot. But we took the influenza guidelines we, we use every year, but obviously cranked them up to a greater degree. We... Um, we began to sense that the COVID-19 was moving its way across country. And um, we began to take initial steps in terms of, for example, um, mass, uh, no sign of peace and stepping back a bit and mm. not from the chalice. And also, so we were taking initial steps, but as we began to see this coming closer, and as you know, we were probably Westchester County, where we're based, and New York City became the epicenter for COVID-19. 
So we had no, begin to say no outside visitors. We began to stop meals in our dining room and our food service delivered meals to the rooms of 135 men every day, three times a day. What a challenge. Mm, like, you know, I'm a native New Yorker and uh, New York is very precious to me. And to your point, uh, Marinol is in Westchester County, New York, and it borders New York City. And of course, that's New York City was hit mm -hmm. very hard and is considered an epicenter. Would you speak to the emotional, the psychological, and the spiritual impact on the community as the number of infections kept increasing? Sure. Um, the thing, uh, Mary, well, we, we were 25 minutes from New Rochelle, where uh, uh, yeah. it, the, the, the impact of COVID for Westchester, New York City hit real quick, and they surrounded that neighborhood and isolated. For us, I think uh, we began to see the extremely serious implications of COVID, especially with a compromised population of, of uh, our elders who uh, were up here on the second floor. Anxiety and some level of fear began to creep into the building among our members and uh, our staff. Uh, I, I want to make sure that, that we keep remembering. Sometimes we can take the members and isolate this, the staff. Well, they were uh, working hand in hand with us, especially the essential personnel. There was a sense, I think, for many of us, a sense of isolation and powerlessness. What can we do? And, and, and you can't stop this. Uh, in all the unknowns, uh, what is this going to do? And what if we get it? And uh, communication was pretty important for us in those early days. Thank God we have an in-house TV station. So we kept trying to communicate to the men in their rooms uh, and verbally with messages on their doors, with phone calls. Um, but each day we began to increase precautions and further quarantine men. Uh, when I say quarantine, men simply could not leave their rooms. Uh, and only essential personnel were allowed in the building. And all the PPEs were available for staff, et cetera, et cetera. This the isolation that we began early on to see the impact isolation was taking on our men. Uh, so I, I would say pastorally, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, it was really hitting the men hard, uh, without a doubt. Where could I pick that up? Often we, we tried to make sure that a group of us were calling men each day, how are you doing? Do you need something? Do you want to talk? Uh, do you want to pray? And you could hear in their voice the, uh, uh, the fear. In some cases, anger, you know, why, why can't I leave my room? Uh, powerlessness, you know, where, when is this going to end? Uh, or I can't pray, too scared. Yeah. Brother Wayne, can you share with us the specific guidelines your community put into place as COVID-19, as it became a greater healthcare threat? Were there yeah. specific guidelines you put in place after the initial um, unfolding? Mm. You know, like, a, like I mentioned before, we, we began to take, take initial steps, but as we began to see, and, and certainly every day seeing what was happening in New York City, which is 45 minutes from us and here in Westchester County, 
uh, our healthcare professionals and our leadership were meeting on a daily basis, uh, just trying to find out what do we need to do, especially for our men, uh, not only on the second floor, but also throughout the building and our essential personnel. At that point, we, we, we stopped all employees coming to work here on the property. We have uh, about 230 people who work here every day. And um, that was stopped and many started working from home remotely. And um, only the essential personnel were allowed on property, that being healthcare professionals, food service, security, and physical plant. Uh, so minimal, and, and that's where I think questions of uh, the meals began to be delivered on a daily basis. Um, to eating three, even we were talking one day about Easter Sunday, we're sitting in our rooms with a, a lunch tray and uh, not being able to be together. We couldn't have Holy Week. So all these things, all what I like reflecting with some of the men saying, how much was taken away from us each day mm-hmm. and not to be a part of that, that Triduum and, and be together in, in these holy days was a big loss for uh, all of us. Meals and mass. So we began to, so as we were taking things away, we tried to find, can we put something on channel, our channel 15 in house? Like daily mass, we found connection with the archdiocese. Yeah. Uh, we found a connection for daily rosary. So at least the men began to, at least, well, there's some place I can go for some spiritual nourishment. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing what was provided for us uh, through technology with this uh, pandemic. And also, I'll tell you, speaking for myself, it was a um, an appreciation for uh, the Triduum and just ha- being able to have an opportunity to miss it. You know, but yeah. a little tiny silver lining there. But so um, on a on a more sensitive topic here I, I want to ask you about I've been to Marinol I know how special a place it is and how special the priests and brothers there are and the loss of a number of your priests and brothers during those days uh, of quarantine I'm sure it was a difficult experience so the grieving process seems to have been put on hold can you share with us how this experience was lived out as you were all quarantined well, yeah, you kind of hit, hit hit the nail on the head, if you will. Um, let me let me start with a with a story that illustrates uh, for me uh, the impact. Uh, as you know, uh, from the middle of March until the end of of, of uh, May, we lost uh, fourteen men. Um, in some cases, there were two days in a row where we lost four in two days. Um, and so one day, uh, one of our brothers died. And where my room is located, I can look down onto the second floor where all these men were living. And what brother, brother Don had uh, this little lamp in his room. And uh, often I would, when I could see him, this long before COVID, I'd talked about his lamp and we were friends and and he always joked about the lamp he said everyone thinks it's tiffany but it's nothing but a cheap plastic frame my lampshade i got and um the, the powerlessness we felt because we were we, when our men were dying we we just couldn't be there with them 
because there was that many and and the the positive cases in the building. We were just trying to protect everyone. It was one day after uh, Brother Don died, and there was a funeral, no body, and he had already been been buried. I remember I was shutting my my, uh, blinds in my room, and I looked out at Don's room, and the room was dark, and the lamp was gone. And I remember I just filled up with tears saying, but I wish I could have been with you. Um, I wish I could have been with you, and I miss you. And, and I think all 14 of these men, we were not with them at that moment. Uh, for me, that illustrates, uh, I believe, the grieving process that uh, we're putting on hold. Uh, and only now, uh, through memory and through memorials and through we're already talking about setting up a memorial in the Spellman room to begin to, to, to honor these men. Because uh, <laughs> when, when you show their picture or you start talking about a member, that's when emotions surface among our guys saying, um, uh, I miss him. Uh, and I, I don't know, I wish I was there. Or did he get the sacrament of the sick? And, were, and to me, I, I often tell people, our, our pastoral agents, if you will, and our members, family members, and our community members were our healthcare professionals. They're holding the hand of a member who is passing away or being present or just being present with that person. Um, so uh, that, that illustrates to me when we realize how many have gone so quickly uh, that we weren't able to, our usual experiences as a vigil, and we all take turns being in the man's room praying with him, holding his hand, and just spending time as he's preparing to meet God. That's so important. You know, I think the need for ritual becomes very mm. important, and you're grieving that. I mean, that's quite a loss. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I'd like to circle back to um, an earlier question. I'm going to bring you back to this. During, during the quarantine, isolation mm. from one another, whether it's in a family or a community, can trigger fa- feelings such as, as you pointed out, powerlessness, anxiety, yeah. fear. So the challenge you faced was keeping wellness of body, mind, body, and spirit. So how <laughs> did you strive to achieve this and remain connected during this quarantine? Mm-hmm. Uh, good question. Uh, yeah, Because I think what we, we tried to do, first of all, our pastoral our Marinol pastoral visitors team, our members in the house, we began to divide up names and saying, we've got to reach out to these men, at least to keep them connected by a phone call. Some men were calling one another and praying the rosary together over the phone or just a conversation. How are you feeling? You know, whatever. So that, was there anything you need? I think that kind of connection and not leaving, especially our most vulnerable, isolated. We also, again, going back to this in-house TV station, we never realized how important it was. Our, our physical therapists, for example, recorded chair exercises they could do in their rooms. And so twice a day in the morning, once in the afternoon, they, uh, they would come on and speaking to the men, it's all been recorded, and just while they're sitting in their chairs, what are some of the things they could do? Um, we also uh, had, uh, we have spiritual directors who come here. They were also on the phone 
calling some of the some of the men, just seeing how they're doing. We have a pastoral care person, a woman who's uh, the men just love her. She was on the phone calling each day. Would pick so many men and call them. Um, was that ideal? No, but it, it was certainly not being present. It was the closest we could come to feel, helping helping the men feel connected. I think too often we would have uh, on channel 15, one of us would get up and just bring them up to date on some of the things that are going on, um, uh, even in our mission world. And uh, our spirit general did the same, connecting the members over and over again. But I think pastoral, spiritual, we, uh, we really made a strong effort to keep men as connected. Now, let me just add here because sometimes we forget those of us in leadership or in pastoral care or spiritual care. We also have needs too, <laughs> and uh, care for the caregiver, if you will, the old line we often hear. And uh, what were we doing for ourselves? In many cases, some of the elders would ask, "Wayne, how are you doing? Uh, are you doing okay? Are you, you know, those are things." So it wasn't just a one-way street. It really had to be a two-way street. I needed my brothers as much as they needed me. Yes, and that's something for you to really pay attention to because yeah. you're so used to giving and, <laughs> and being the sounding board and absorbing the pain and, and uh, to reach out and, and acknowledge what you yourself need. That's, that's important. Oh, yeah. And I, I know your physical therapist, Sally Peak. Is she the oh, person who? <laughs> yeah. Sal, Sally Peak. She's wonderful. She kept them going. Yeah, she, she would. She would. So, uh, Brother Wayne, um, some of our one of our therapists was talking about uh, anticipatory grief, and she turned it around and she said, "I'm going to talk about hope." Mm -hmm. And she said she'd like to talk about. She wants to think of it as anticipatory hope that we should anticipate hope now. So, as a people of faith and a missionary community. What what were initial moments or glimpses of hope you all experienced uh, on a spiritual level, pastorally, emotionally, psychologically? What were the glimpses of hope? Well, I, I believe, again, just recently, I think it was two or three weeks ago, we began to gather. And... Uh, Socially distancing, obviously, masks worn, two to a table. The chapels had to be rearranged. We we have two big chapels. We couldn't bring everyone to the same. We wanted to make sure. It, to me, it was seeing one another for the first moment. Mm -hmm. um, what was was really for me uh, pretty powerful is seeing. Now, the other thing is on the second floor where most of our men passed away. Seeing the empty chairs in chapel was also a profound, profound, difficult experience. One of our brothers said, you know, Father so-and-so always sat next to me in chapel and he's not here now. And I never, I didn't say, I didn't have a chance to say goodbye to him. So I think it's beginning, that to me, it, it, the hope is coming in at least to begin to acknowledge, talk about it, begin to express feelings. I think uh, uh, the hope came when we were be able to, to have mass together. 
and to be able to pray together and to be able to, from a distance, have a human conversation without a phone or a screen in front of us. Uh, beginning to see some of the employees coming back, uh, there, there, there is hope there. Um, so I, I, I would say, uh, I was thinking of, um, as we began to open initially, you began to sense men feeling out, this is not over. This is not simply a, a, a blip here we're, we're experiencing. We're going to have this around for a while. And how do we live with it and through it safely, appropriately? Uh, but as people of faith and hope, how, uh, how are we getting through this? Uh, to me, I think this, if th that stumbling piece still is the grieving process, I think, for us still. Yeah. But I, I'm sensing a little bit more hope uh, as I see men, even seeing them after Mass, talking to them from a distance. They're beginning to feel uh, more hope. And, and even physically saying, I'm feeling better. It's being mm. out of my Yes. Hmm. Yes, you're so much a community. Uh, those community ties are just so strong. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you really just kind of answered this, but I'm going to, you know, we're hearing a lot about living the new normal. And I know that ministries all over now are they're devising creative ways to continue their work. Mm -hmm. But um, how, do, how do we interpret the reality of this? Uh, how do you interpret it as a society of apostolic life or religious congregation? How do you mm -hmm. live? How do you live this out as men of faith and men of prayer? Well, it, to, to me, you know, I'm not. I'm, I'm speaking to the choir here, and all of us. We we are social beings, and as ministers of the gospel and missionaries, our tendency is to be with others. Um, and for a period of time, we just couldn't do that. Uh, and um, what and what were some of the new and creative ways of connecting spiritually, pastorally, and socially? Uh, I think it is 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 a great challenge we face the, the new normal. And, and I don't know if we've defined that well yet. What is a new normal? Uh, because what we're, we're, we're there's so much we haven't processed, and I'll, and I'll explain how we want to get to that as a community. So, for example, we've canceled ordinations this year. We canceled our Jubilee celebrations. We've canceled, everything's been canceled. And I keep taking up my eraser in my book and erasing mm. all the stuff that was once there. Yeah. Uh, we have a general, we, have, we're gonna have, we were going to have a pre-chapter assembly. Uh, in August, that's been canceled for 125 of our men. And so we're beginning to debate on whether we can even hold our general chapter later this year. Because our men would be coming from Asia, Africa, Latin America, which some of those areas uh, are not in great shape. Uh, and what would that mean? What quarantine and all that other experience that we're facing. So there's a lot of unknowns. Um, so those postponements. But I... I, I I think, I think one of the things I, I'm sensing is our role right now for Hope is to provide support, to try our best to decrease the isolation, and, and offer a safe space 
for the men to express how they're feeling. Um, and then to create opportunities, we need to create those opportunities and rituals for the men to say goodbye. Those men have gone before us. Um, and we're working on that. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll give an example again of, uh, our, we had the channel 15, our director from channel worked remotely and we set up uh, for a 14 day period each day with Psalm 23 and the picture of the man that would come up three times a day for it was a five minute presentation. Here's Father John Doe uh, in memory of, and it was Psalm 23 with the Good Shepherd behind and the music. And then they'd show his picture. Then they would show him in mission pictures, what he did overseas in the Philippines and in Bolivia and Korea. Uh, that was a start, being able to see that picture and begin to acknowledge and, and pay tribute to our brothers who have gone before us. But we're doing the same uh, as we've done, and we're putting one whole one together that we believe will be helpful for the whole Congress, just not those of us at the center, but everybody in our mission fields as well. I also believe what I'm sensing is, um, uh, you know, if this doesn't push us as people of faith, men and women of faith, of prayer, of the gospel, to begin to realign our values, I don't know what will. Uh, I think our values are going to be shifted. Uh, not everyone's, but I hope those of us, the lenses we use as, gospel and as people of faith and prayer we have to look at this totally different and that's where the hope comes in yes through the lenses yes very well said so brother wayne thank you for sharing your journey with us today are there any is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before we close uh, you have any words of wisdom what what would you like everyone to know um Strip away, strip away the non-essentials of daily life. Uh, we, we, the experience I've had here is there's a number of things that I have not been able to do. And I'm saying to myself, well, how really important were they? What is important would be those values. What's important would be the relationships of, of our brothers and sisters. Um, the other thing to me is, um, is, is hearts filled with gratitude um, over and over again. We keep saying to the essential workers, and we have at the tower bell here, we were ringing it each night at seven. And even our neighbors called one day and they called and they said to me, uh, the bells at Marianal give us hope. Some of us in the neighborhood, she said, Michelle was her name. She said, we go out on the street when we hear the bells and we pray with you and think of you. Oh. So those, those, those moments of saying, because they all knew what we were going through with the number of deaths here. But uh, to me, it's the end, end, end story is our values, what's important, and it's going to be relationships and through the eyes of uh, an experience of gratitude. We've got to be more grateful because we've lost a lot here, but again, we look at, well, what really was important. What's important is what we just reflected on, I think. That's beautiful. That's, thank you so much for sharing that. That was, that's something um, we're going to think about for a while. 
So I want to express my gratitude for you, for your, for your friendship and uh, for, for your giving your time to be with us today. Um, And uh, you will certainly be in our prayers. Please keep us in yours. I certainly will. And if you will allow me (laughs) to close it, I found this, it was a great reflection. It's just two lines from uh, a doctor, Rachel Naomi Raymond, who uh, the book out was called Kitchen Table Wisdom. And here's, here's what she says. I think it pertains to what we're talking about today. Kind of like a little closing prayer reflection. <laughs> the, ex, the exception that we can be immersed in suffering and a loss and loss daily and not be touched by it is as unrealistic as expecting to be able to walk through water and not get wet. And, and I think that's the experience that we, mm. we've walked through this and we got wet and we're coming out the other side. I think better people full of gratitude more realistic and more hopeful, um, I think, is, uh, is the lesson learned. Well, thank you so much for that. We appreciate it. Well, we're going to say goodbye now. Um, and uh, again, once again, uh, my gratitude uh, for your sharing so much with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mariette. Thanks. Bye now. You've been listening to the Wellness Journey podcast from the St. John Vianney Center. I hope today's topic, community life in a time of pandemic, an interview with married old brother Wayne Fitzpatrick, proves useful to you. You can find all our podcasts and get additional information and resources for clergy and religious by visiting our website at sjvcenter.org. Remember, We're companions on the journey to stay healthy in mind, body, and spirit. We are the St. John Vianney Center, and our mission is you.